Last week we let off with the Apostle Paul is heading toward Jerusalem and, and he's closing out his letter here. And uh, uh, chapter 15, verse 30, it starts out, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be, uh, may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that the uh, contribution I take may be favorable, uh, favorably received by the Lord's people there so that I may come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. Now, the Apostle Paul uh, is going to He's been using some pretty strong language toward the Romans, and he uses it again here, and he, he says, I urge you, and this is a, a Greek word that goes back, it says, join me in my struggle, to join me in that, in praying, and the Greek means with me agonize. So he's agonizing, he's thinking about this, this is on his mind, uh, and, and you know, he's really saying, get on your face before God with me. This is not a little prayer. It's not a little, hey, brother, pray for me. You know, I grew up Southern Baptist where everybody said, oh, pray for me, brother. You know, and, and it was just something that was said. And, and I, you know, sometimes you're like, was there any, any meaning in that whatsoever? But Paul is saying, man, get on your face. I'm headed toward Jerusalem, and I'm not really looking forward to it. And if you knew Paul's history with the Jews, you would understand why. But specifically, he says four things that I may be delivered from those who want to kill me in Judea. Now, if you knew somebody was wanting to kill you, would you go toward them? No, usually we go the opposite way, okay? So he's agonizing over this. He's thinking about this. And secondly, he says that I will be, be a blessing when they receive this offering. You know, people are pretty prideful, right? It's hard to ask for help. And when somebody comes and offers you help... Sometimes without you even asking, you know, that pride can come up and stuff. And, you know, it's hard for a Jew, especially, to take an offering from a Gentile. And we've talked about the, the difference between the Jew and the Gentile, so sh you should understand that. And then thirdly, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God. And fourthly, that I may be refreshed together with you. Now, I want you to pay attention to these four things, because we're going to see how all four of these got answered. Paul's not going to Jerusalem on a whim, you know. Um, it, it's not like a vacation. It's not like he's going to, uh, oh, let me think, uh, Hawaii or something, you know. Um, it, you know, it's not a vacation. He already has a sense of awareness that he doesn't want to go there. He's already controversial there. And he wants to go to the Gentiles. That's where it's calling. We've talked about calling the last several weeks. But he has given over his schedule to God. He's basically said, you are in charge, Lord. You're in charge of my day. You were in charge of my plans. You were in charge of my kids. So I can leave. No, no, you can't leave. With God. You know what I'm saying? But, but you're in charge. Whatever I do, wherever I go or don't go. You know, we look at some people who are mature in the Lord and we think, man, they must enjoy everything that God has for them. Look how much joy that they have in their life. They must just have this down. And that's really not the case. We see this with disciples and the Apostle Paul. They're put in situations that they would rather not be in the middle of, yet their, their foundation is in the Lord so they can have joy. It doesn't mean they're happy about it. There's a difference between happiness and joy. 
and that joy is that underlining of, I know where, uh, I'm secure, I know where I'm going. No matter what happens, whether I die in this situation or whether I get through the valley of the shadow of death, what, what, however I get through this, I know where I'm going in the end, and that's to heaven. So I can have joy in that. Now, happiness goes up and down depending on mood, depending on how people react to you, people, what they say to you, all those things. But you can have the foundational joy, and that's what we see the disciples. Following God doesn't mean you, you, you always get what you want. The Lord expects us to hear Him and expects us to do His will. And what's interesting, it becomes less and less of a battle as we mature. Because there's the joy that goes with following his ways. And I'm trying to teach my son this. There's a joy when you follow daddy's ways and mommy's ways. And as we discipline, you know, in the seven-year-old, you will have more joy in your, you know, in your life. You'll have more joy around this household if you do a few things, if you follow these things. If you don't, what's he going to have? Discipline, Right? The dreaded D word, the, one, the word that we don't like when God disciplines us, it's the same thing with parents and teachers and aunts and uncles. When you discipline, the kids don't enjoy it. So there's a joy that goes along with following the Lord. And we need to, look, we need to get to a point where we look at our calendar and we say, Lord, you are in control of my calendar. Everything that I've planned to do change it if that's not what you want me to do. Lord willing, in other words... If you want to change it, go ahead, Lord. Now, every day we need to give over everything and keep saying, if it's your will, Lord, God's will, Lord willing. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, I think, where we talked about, you know, that's such a, a statement from old of, of saying, well, Lord willing, Lord willing. I got a friend that always, you know, he's always going, Lord willing. And it's such a, I, I need to be saying that more, but it's so odd to hear that in today's society to say, Lord willing. But the more we do it, the more we start to understand what it means. Now, the four things that he prayed for, let's see what happened, okay? I'm going to jump to Acts 21. And, uh, well, actually, what I'm going to do, I think, if my memory's correct, I'm just going to tell you what happens in about eight minutes. I'm going to go through a lot in about eight minutes. And sometimes you wish I'd do that in sermons, you know, and uh, 61 weeks in Romans, okay? Yeah, we can sum it up, you know, but, but you know what I'm saying. So Acts 21, 10, 10, it starts out. Paul is in Corinth. He's writing to Rome. And in Acts 21 is where all this stuff plays out. Paul's buddy Luke is, is there, and he wrote the book of Acts. So in a nutshell, this is what happens in eight chapters. The Apostle Paul heads east from, from Corinth to go toward Jerusalem. A prophet named Agabus warns him that there's going to be in trouble in Jerusalem. So everyone is stressing out. Everyone's saying, Paul, no, 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 no. Just send the money with some other guys. No big deal. You don't want to go there. So, you know, they're all struggling over this. But Paul's like, no, I, the Lord wants me to go there. This is where I'm going. So they get to Jerusalem, and the church is full of completed Jews. In other words, Jews who have become Christians totally receive him and, and totally receive his offering. Uh, so now we see that the second prayer, so we, sk we skip the first prayer, but the second prayer is answered. He is a blessing to the Jews. He brings the money. He gives it to the Jews. They're all excited. So that prayer has totally been answered. Now, why are we talking about this? Because I think it's important, as I mentioned last week, to write down the blessings that happen from our prayers. If we pray to God, 
And we never come back and say, did God answer that prayer? Is God active in my life? Or do I need to still continue to pray about this subject? Then are we maturing? No, we need to write down the things that we ask about God. You know, in fact... um, I mean, if, if, if you're like me, you'll forget what you pray about. You know what I'm saying? You get so many things going on. I mean, I got two kids at home, you know, and, and you guys got at work, and you guys got, you know, a lot of stuff going on, so you forget. But, but like, with the deal with the adoption of our youngest that I had up here earlier, Grayson, I went back and literally I wrote down all the little things that happened, all the little nuances, and, you know, you guys probably all know them by heart because I keep talking about it. I understand that. But I wrote it all down. Now, why would I do that? Well, one, because I want to remember it when I get older, you know. But two, I want my kids to remember God being involved in this. I want my grandkids to, to understand how God is involved in our lives. They need to understand God's way. It just didn't happen. You know, it's not like, I mean, we're going to get into it in Genesis and, you know, the whole Big Bang thing, right? You know, it just just happened. And we're going to talk a lot about that. You know, it didn't just happen. Well, the same thing with the adoption of grace. And, you know, how many times does a young lady approach you in a restaurant and say, will you adopt my baby? You know, I mean, it just doesn't happen. I mean, one out of, I don't know how many millions, you know, or billions. I don't know. Anyway, but it's for, for us to remember. It's for our grandkids to remember. It's for other people to see God being active. So let's start a list of our prayers. We need to date them when we pray for them, and we need to date them when God answers it. We need to write it down. Paul is in Jerusalem. The apostles are concerned about Paul's reputation in Jerusalem, and and the Jews are, uh, you know, uh, out there and Paul was teaching, and, 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 but, but the Jews don't really like his teaching now because it you know, brings Jesus in there. And, and, and Paul's like, you know, I'm trying to get you guys to understand, and you're just not getting it. So then he says, so, so take some of this offering to the temple. And these are four guys who have taken a vow. They've taken a whole ritual back in in Acts. And and it goes with this vow. They shave the heads and it's a payment to the temple. So as he brought money for the Jews, some of that went to the temple. Because he's still being, you know, they're still going, okay, let's not offend anybody. Let's let's do a few things like this. So they go on and they pay uh, for the vow fee. And and there's there's rumors that's going through Jerusalem that, that Paul has brought Gentiles into the court. And, and that the, the, they're not keeping kosher and, and all this stuff. And it, so it causes a lot of problems. And he didn't do it on purpose. Basically, just his presence there in the temple. Now, let's relate this to politics, okay? Again, whether you like Donald Trump or you don't like Donald Trump, I'm just using the example, okay? Just the presence of Donald Trump causes problems right now, right? No matter where he goes, it just causes problems. Because whether you agree with them or disagree with them, you're going to fight. So it's the same thing with Paul. Just his presence causes that. There are some Jews from Asia and Turkey that recognize him, and, and they get everybody riled up. They, they uh, you know, exaggerate everything. And, you know, CNN shows up with their cameras. And, okay, well, not really. But you understand, a riot starts, and the Roman soldiers come in, and they save Paul. Because they don't want it to get out of hand. Because they don't want a bigger riot going on. So they arrest Paul. Because Paul, you know, must be the troublemaker. So Paul turns to the Roman commander and speaks to him in perfect Greek. 
So the Roman commander's kind of impressed, like, wow, you, you know our language, you know? And the commander said, I thought you were an Egyptian. And Paul says, no, 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 not me. Just, and then he convinces them, just let me talk to the crowd, and I'll solve this whole issue. So he talks to the commander, you know, talks, to him, talks him into letting him speak. And the commander basically goes out there and, and hushes everybody. He gets everybody to be quiet. He probably pulled out a sword and said, I'll cut off your head if you don't shut up. You know, something like that. So they did that. And Paul speaks perfect Hebrew to the people. And the commander's trying to figure out what's going on with this guy. I only understand, a, a, you know, a little bit of Hebrew. So Paul preaches to the crowd that wanted to kill him. He gets in there, starting to listen, and he gets to the part where the Lord Jesus Christ calls him to preach to Gentiles, and the crowd goes ballistic. They completely freak out, ripping their clothes, throwing dust in the air. This is like little kids, okay? My backyard was full of little kids last night and and yesterday afternoon. And and, and one little kid, every time he gets upset, he just starts screaming, you know? And he's throwing stuff. And I'm like, I'm worried about this little kid, okay? But that's all. But I mean, this is a prime example. You start acting like little kids. I mean, I had to go out there and go, look, stop screaming, okay? Imagine trying to tell an adult to do that. Well, well, it happens. They just get, you know, even more mad. But the commander grabs Paul and takes him into the fortress next to the temple. Something is up. I don't know what you said to him, he's probably saying to, to Paul. So he basically interrogates him, you know, and how is this done? Well, how do they interrogate back then? Well, they tie you to a pole and they get out the whips, okay? So as they're doing this, Right before they, you know, he, he turns, Paul turns to a centurion and says, I'm just curious, have the laws changed since I've been here? Because the last time I was here, you couldn't do this to a Roman citizen. Oh, that changes everything. Because it's not legal to whip a Roman citizen before he's been convicted of a crime. That could only happen after a crime. And they're like, you're a Roman citizen? Paul's like, yeah. Well, how does he know this? Well, there's a little caveat in Roman citizenship that if you claim to be a Roman citizen and you're not, they execute you right then and there. So you're not going to willy-nilly kind of claim being a Roman citizen. You know what I'm saying? Your life is on the line. So the centurion goes and gets the commander. The commander comes back. Are you a citizen? You know, swear to it. Yes, I'm a citizen. And, And, you know, then he goes, how did you get your citizenship? Because mine cost me a lot of money. And Paul goes, I was born into it. Oh, that just changed everything because on the scale of, that just flipped it. Paul's now above this guy, in a sense, on the pecking order. So Paul gets an upgrade here. So they sat down for tea and they said, well, what should we do here? So the next day he orders a former hearing and, and Paul gets to speak to his accusers. And the accusers are supposed to be quiet, almost like, you know, our court of laws, you know. But they can't be quiet. They just, they're just all riled up. They just make a scene, and they go crazy, and the commander has to break that up again. So finally, the commander says, you're not very popular here. They're trying to kill you. So I heard about this plot, so we need to get you out of him. So he, he orders them taken to Caesarea. So they go out to, uh, to go before Felix, the governor. So, you know, and, and that night, well, Paul is in the Roman barracks, not the jail, okay, because he got his 
upgrade, his pecking order there. Um, you know, probably had one of the best rooms there. The Lord comes and stands beside him in a dream and says, Paul, and he responds, yes, Jesus, I haven't seen you in a while. And Jesus says, you know, cheer up, pal, you're going to be headed to Rome. Exactly like the prayer that you prayed. Well, sort of. You just don't know how you're going to get there, but it's going to happen. And the next night, 470 soldiers escort Paul to the coast of Israel. That's, I mean, they're protecting this guy. And by the way, prayer number one is now answered. He is out of Judea and he is safe. You see how the, the, the prayers are coming answered? Just not exactly how he thought that they would be answered. I mean, we need to get very specific when we pray sometimes because, you know, Lord, I need a car. Well, that's great. You may need a car, but you may not get the car you're thinking of. You know what I'm saying? We have to be specific in our prayers. Lord, I need a mate. Well, okay, well, uh, yeah. Anyway, um, so Paul's in Caesarea. Paul shares Christ's story with the governor and his wife who incarcerate Paul for two stinking years. Now, why is he keeping him for two years? Well, he heard Paul came with a lot of money to give to the people. He's thinking bribe. And this is a lot how the Roman government's worked. If I can keep you in jail long enough, somebody eventually is going to pay money to get you out. So he's trying for a bribe here, you know, you know and, and he's running for office. He, he needs donations. Literally, he's running for office at this point in, in history. So Paul ends up sharing with King Agrippa and Queen Bernice and Felix and uh, Festus and all these big wigs there. And, and if you were here and you studied the book of Acts along with us, you might remember in Acts 9, uh, 15 uh, that this was predicted. This happens 25 years after the prophecy. So this is why we don't give up on the Lord. The Lord does stuff on his own timing. When the Lord promises you to do something, He's going to deliver, just not on your schedule. So don't forget. That's why we write things down. And then in Acts 27 and 28, the Apostle Paul appeals to Caesar. And the comment, you know, to Caesar he will go as a prisoner, you know. So if you look at your Bible map, uh, if you had one, you later look at one, you can see how far it is from Rome. And he ends up on the ship in this great adventure. So I'm going to pick it up in Acts 28 30 here. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in, in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him, who proclaimed the, God, the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So now we see prayers number three and number four answered. The third prayer was that I may come to you with joy by the will of God. He did, he just didn't know he was going to do that as a prisoner. So he's headed to Rome, and he would be shipwrecked. He would be, you know, bitten by a poisonous snake, but he still had joy. We'll get to that. But number four, the fourth prayer was that I'd be refreshed together with you. By the time he gets to Rome, he will need refreshing. And when he gets to see them, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, Paul actually became okay with God, how God answered prayers along the way. And this is something that we need to learn is, you know, to, to be able to say God is in charge of our process. So we need to be okay with how God gets us from point A to point B. Because who is in charge? God is in charge. Who's in charge of the process? God is in charge of the process. Are we in charge of the process? 
No, as much as my seven-year-old thinks he's in charge of the house, he is not in charge. This is why we get so frustrated when God doesn't do things the way we want them done. And we are so frustrated about the journey and the process. And the reason is we are not in control. So with God in, you know, God in charge of the process, and this is so important, Paul learned this, you pray specifically what you want versus what you need. Sometimes it's difficult to sort out the want and the need. And that's okay. He loves us. He's our dad. So he's not going to, you know, yell at us every time we ask for something. You don't need that. You want that. You know, you don't go after the child every time. You, you help explain. You help them mature. A good dad won't do that. But the process of, you know, helps us understand Romans 8. Remember Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that all, good, uh, all things good were... Uh, and we know that in all things, God works for good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. See, prayer is not designed to give us control. Some people pray like they're in control. You know, they're in control. They name it and claim it and all that mess. And I would rather pray like Jesus prayed. Not my will, but yours. Here's my idea is God. Here's what I'm praying about, but not my will, but yours. So if these fit into your will, God, then I want them to be answered in a yes. You see the point? In God's will. When we pray like this, we're not wrestling God about control. And that's so important. Prayer connects us to God's heart, God's mind, God's thoughts. God's will, God's timing, God's purposes, God's grace, God's love, God's justice, God's overall and overreaching plan and overarching plan. And we, when we truly enter into prayer, we submit to him all things. Now, does this mean we don't ask for what we want? No. It just knows that he's in control of the purpose and the plan. Did Paul ever make it to Spain? He, his plan was, I'm going to come to Rome and I'm going to make it to Spain. Did he, did he ever make it to Spain? Well, we don't really know. You know, there's a lot of churches that, that are built over there in Spain that says Paul stood right here. So we think he made it to Spain, but it's not in the Scriptures. We don't know how many years before all this kind of went down and stuff, but, but we're not 100% sure. But he's desires to go there. But God is in control. Now verse, uh, I mean chapter 16. Now let's go back to uh, Romans here and finish it out. I command to you your sister Phoebe, a deacon in a church in Concrea. Now there's a whole bunch of names here that I'm going to completely slaughter. You can pronounce them however you want to pronounce them when you see them, okay? But Paul's going to end his letter with a bunch of thank yous. A bunch of relationships that he's built and, you know, a long list of those in and around Corinth that, that wanted to say hi to different people and a bunch of people in Rome that he's met along the way that, that, that he wants to greet. He lists nine men and one woman from two groups in Corinth. He lists 27 men and nine women from five groups in and around Rome. And it shows how relationships are really a big deal to Paul. And that's important for us. We need to build those relationships with each other. He has this huge network of people around the world as he's traveled that he knows. And he's always writing letters 
to, uh, um, he's always writing letters to, to everyone. I commend you, uh, I, I, commend, uh, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Korea. So Phoebe is a Gentile woman. She's also a deacon in our church near Corinth and probably carried the letter to, uh, to the Romans. And this is interesting. Paul's going to mention 10 different women in Romans 16. And he's making the point that women play a vital role in the leadership of the Old Testament, or I say the Old, of the New Testament church in the very beginning. Significant ministries here. Verse 2, he says, I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greek Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus, they risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. So here you have, you know, dear friends of Paul that he mentions, and he mentions her name first, which is very interesting. It's significant during that time. Even in our century, usually it's Mr. and Mrs., you know, my, my mom for years signed her checks. I'm not joking. Mr. and Mrs. Arliss, or, well, she, she signed it Mrs. Arliss Ray Orr, okay? I mean, she was old-fashioned, okay, when it came to that. Because on the check, that's how it had. And Mr., you know, Arliss Ray Orr and Mrs. Arliss Ray, you know, that type of thing. And that's how she signed the check. You know, we think, what? You know, and especially in our modern day and age. But think about it back then. You know, I mean, the women were, were kind of an afterthought. And here he's mentioning the woman first. Significant. He's making a statement here. But like Paul, they were also tent makers by profession, but they're also disciples. They, you know, they're very famous disciple. Um, uh, you know, Paulos, came from their teaching and stuff. They discipled him after, uh, you know, after he got some of the gospel and stuff. And, and he went out and, and they start, he started preaching and, and they heard what he was saying. And, and they grabbed him and said, dude, you need to get the whole story. So he's out there preaching all this stuff that, that wasn't quite right. You know, he had part of the story, but not the whole thing. And they said, man, you need to learn. So they brought him in and they tutored him and they taught him in the ways of God. And he became a great first century preacher that Paul even mentions him. So Priscilla and Aquila had a home or had a church home in Rome. And he says uh, here, greet my dear friend um, Epinetus. Epinetus, something like that, who was the first covenant in Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. And the word worked is a very, in a very intense word here, to be diligent in whatever you do. This is the same when Jesus calls out future disciples. He says, be diligent in what you do. Remember, when he's in the water and he said, have you caught any fish or near the water? And Jesus comes walking up and they replied, we've labored all night and we've caught nothing. Be diligent. They were out there all night. And then he sent them back out one more time and they, you know, the, the boat's like falling, you know, in the water, it's being pulled down, you know. 
This Mary is one of the many Marys mentioned in the New Testament, but this Mary, she acted like more of a, you know, more of what we think of a, a Martha, always working hard. She was very diligent in everything that she did. Verse 7, it says, Greet to Anadronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. And the term, my fellow Jews, could be one of two meanings. It could literally either mean my relatives or we're from the same town. In other words, from the town of Tarshish, where he grew up, you know. Uh, basically, they're, they're, they're friends. I've always been around them. So it could be one of those two meanings. And, and they've been married, and, and they've been, in, you know, in jail with Paul. And it says, they are outstanding among the apostles. Now, take note here. Again, he is calling a woman an apostle. So we need to rethink our, our thinking of certain words here. And he's calling them a guy who we've never heard of, an apostle. And this broadens our definition of apostle for some of us. Because when we say the word apostle, who do we think of? The 12 disciples and Paul. And, well, 11 disciples and Paul and that, that 12th disciple that got added on later that we can never remember his name, right? Anyone? Anyone? See? We can't remember his name, Okay. I think it was Matthias, if my memory was correct. I don't know. I have to go back and look. So, you know, so, you know we have to rethink this uh, because uh, of what Paul is truly saying there. And he says, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet uh, uh, Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. My dear friend uh, in the Lord is, is two words in a Greek. It's almost like a nickname. He's giving a, a nickname here. Um, greet uh, your uh, Ubanus, our co-worker in, in Christ, my dear friend, another guy and another guy whose fidelity in Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong in the household of uh, uh, Aristobulus. Now, twice you will see in, the, uh, in this list the household of. This means the servants. He's greeting the servants in the household of so-and-so's place. Uh, they're obviously believers. And, and many of the names here are, are, are slave names. Some of them are freed slaves. Some of them aren't. You know, maybe they're descendants of fla- uh, slaves. They found their freedom in Christ. We still have this today in India. We call it the lower class uh, or caste. You know, the untouchables. Literally, I'm not going to walk. If I walk by this, I'm not. No, I'm not touching them. I mean, they're, they're no, we don't even, we don't even deal with those kinds. That whole idea, and that's what uh, a lot of the, uh, you know, in India, they're called the Dalits, and they have over 300 million Dalits, lower class. And the word Dalit means subhuman, and the system kept them down. So many of them are looking for a religion that will liberate them, a God who will not look at them as subhuman, right? See, we got to get the idea of, of biblical slavery different from American slavery, okay? Because a lot of American sl- slavery, you know, that was forced slavery. Biblical slavery was I put myself into slavery or my nation was conquered by this other nation during wartime. Could be either one of those. So many of them are looking for this outlet, something to liberate them, a God who won't look at them as subhuman. And in Christianity, when they feel valued, because who are we created in the image of? God. So therefore, we have value. So we should never, I mean, this is a huge self-esteem builder here. We're in the image of God, our creator. Jesus esteems us now. And he goes on and says, greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. 
And we believe this is the grandson of Herod the Great. History believes this. A lot of historians and stuff. It's kind of a bit, a bit of poetic justice here. The grandfather who tried to kill Jesus. And the, the grandson is now serving Jesus. Isn't that pretty cool? I thought so. Uh, verse 11. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. And this is an either a relative or again, he's also from Tarshish, one of the two. Herodian, uh, if he's a relative of Paul, means he's a relative of Herod's uh, in Judea. And, you know, hated by, by and ruled over the Jews. You remember, you know, Herod, you know, he's a relative of that. Wouldn't it be interesting if Paul was a relative of Herod? We don't know that for sure, but that's just an interesting thought. So I, I'm not preaching that as the way it is, but that's just uh, something that could be out there. Greet those in the house of uh, Narcissus uh, who are in the Lord. And these are slaves by a man named Tiberius Claudius, uh, and you try to pronounce the last name. He himself is a wealthy, freed slave of Tiberius Caesar. So Paul has high, you know, friends in high places, and he has friends in low places. He has friends that are all sorts. You know, he broke through all these level of friendships, uh, you know, much like Christ did. And this is how we know we're maturing in Christ. We don't stay at one level. We, we, we have friends that are from all sorts of, of backgrounds and openings. You know, our friends aren't all the same economic zones, aren't this, all the same skin color or gender or the same age. And, you know, we become, you know, like Christ when we start to enjoy the company of a wide variety of people. We open our hearts and we open our home to different people. Now, let's talk about slavery for a moment. If Paul was such a great man, why did he not work harder to end slavery? Why doesn't he preach about it, against it? Why doesn't he write a letter? He mentions slavery quite a bit. He basically says, uh, uh, you know, if, if you're a slave, then you be a slave and you do it well. And you serve that master as if you were serving Christ. I mean, he didn't preach against it. It's kind of interesting. But he mentions it, you know, quite a lot. So why didn't he stop it? I mean, in fact, the book of Phil, uh, Philemon, it, you know, it's about a slave that runs away. Philemon, Philemon, however, you know, most people say Philemon. Uh, it's about a slave who runs away. And he basically says, hey, the slave's coming back to the household. Don't rag on him. Don't, don't uh, you know, don't treat him bad. Don't punish him for this. He's coming back. And the answer is very sim uh, simple here. And we don't like the answer, but it's simple. One is Paul is only one man, and slavery is not what Paul was called to work on. You see my point? We've, you know, the last couple of weeks we've talked about calling in our life. And Paul was not called to work on this issue during his lifetime. Someone else was supposed to do that. You ask who? I don't know. Maybe they didn't do it. <laughs> didn't become very famous. I mean, has God always hated slavery? Absolutely. Yes. Paul, I mean, God does not like slavery at all. Was God calling people to stop slavery? Yes. Well, why didn't it happen in the first century? Why didn't it stop? I don't know. Because the people of God didn't like their calling, so they copped out or didn't do it? I don't know. People of God that, that, that were called failed? I don't know. 
But this is not the Apostle Paul's fault, so don't put it on him, because a lot of people are, you know, well, I don't know why Paul didn't, you know, address slavery. and say, Well, that wasn't his job. He had a calling, and that's what he did. Putting this on Paul would be like putting things on the 21st century on, our, uh, on us. Do you live in the 21st century? Let's see if you're awake. Everybody should say yes. Okay, good. Then why didn't you stop sex trafficking? Hmm? Think about it. Well, I'm only one person. Wait, wait, wait. I'm not done. Why didn't you stop abortion in the 21st century? Why didn't you stop child abuse or child pornography in the 21st century? Over 2 million prisoners are in the U.S. that aren't being rehabilitated. Why didn't you balance the budget? Why, you know, why does your country, you know, why, or, or why does the world hate your country? Why didn't you solve all that? So, I mean, you can get the idea of why we can't put certain things on certain individuals at certain times. Now, if he was in a position to do it and he had the authority and he didn't do it, then we would be all standing up, why didn't he do it? Okay, you get my point? Okay. The Apostle Paul. Paul would come and say, I've accomplished everything that God has called me to do. In fact, he even says that in one of his books. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. This is why we think he went to Caesar and talked to Caesar. This is why we think he went to Spain. He felt it. God promised him he would make it to Rome, and he did what he was called to do. And he said he, was, he finished everything that he was called to do. So the question comes back to what we've been talking about the last several weeks. What is your calling? And what has God expected you to do? And when you do it, then you can stand before God, and he will say, did you do what I called you to do based on the time, based on the money, based on the gifting, based on the resources and the relationships on earth, what did you do with those? What did you do on what I told you to do in your calling, based on, on what I told you to do? You need to be able to say, I had a calling, and say, what did I do with that? If you don't know the answer to what is your calling, that, that's Okay. You need to start asking God. You need to start writing down that prayer. God, what do you want? What's my calling on my life? Not what job do I have? Because you may be this or you may be that. I mean, you, you know, you, you, you can be called to a profession, but that is not necessarily God's calling because God's calling is completely different. It's a, it's a different frame of mind. It's not just a job. It's a way of life. And we need to ask God to reveal it to us clearly. The calling helps dictate how we live our lives. See, our calling is not just about church things and things that we think about on Sunday. This is about your life. Has God called you into that job? Has God called you into serving Him in that job? I mean, may, maybe it is about your job. Maybe, maybe you're sitting there going, well, well, God, have you called me to this line of work? Because if my calling is something completely different in life, than what my job is. Maybe you need to evaluate that and maybe you need to start going thinking about, well, how do I get there? That may me be involved in looking at a different job or a different uh, route, different, you know, going, well, should I? I mean, when I was in college, I, you know, I, I grew up in Texas. We had football. I mean, football. 
And now I, I used to be an athletic trainer. You guys heard me talk about that, sports injury. And I've seen some gruesome injuries, stuff that you don't want to talk about, you know, and uh, uh, over the years and stuff. And, and, and now it's even hard for me to watch it, even now, especially with CTE. I mean, Super Bowl, I've not watched a football game all season, you know. Not that I sit down every Sunday and watch, but I'm not putting that onus on you. You can make your decision whether you want to see guys just beat up on each other. That's your decision. I'm not putting that onus on you, okay? Again, we've talked about that going through the book of Rome. If God convicts us or has us make a decision one way or the other, we not put that on other people, okay? But uh, So I haven't done that, uh, but, but I had a decision to make when I left athletic training. Do, or, do I, you know, I got to a point where I was sitting there going, this isn't what God has called me to do. So now what do I do? And I changed directions completely in a sense, I went from healing physical to healing spiritual. But I didn't know I was going to do that. That was God's calling, and I had to figure that out. So you may have to switch jobs. You may have to switch your, your thinking. You know, you know to, to, to say, what is my calling now? Not the future, but right now. And to be able to say, Lord willing, now. What about, what about the now? What if you're in the wrong place that you feel? Well, you serve him. That's what you do. You keep serving him. You find your calling. You say, Lord, I am yours. Use me however you want to use me. You know, some of our calling... I mean, there's time involved in calling. I understand that. And sometimes we just have to have a job to pay the bills. You know what I'm saying? So don't just go out there, oh, this is my calling, quit your job. I mean, you, you, you got to provide for, you know, put food on the table. You, you know, those things in life. But to be able to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And to say, I'm going to devote my time, I'm going to devote my energy as if it's a calling. And ask the Lord, where do you want me to serve? What do you want me to do with my time? What do you want me to do with my money? What do you want me to do, you know, to pour, what activities, what people do you want me to pour my life into? There's things that I do outside the church and pour my life into certain people or certain things because I think it's important to, to be able to influence them in a good way. You know, my son, we were walking out of a restaurant the other night and my son goes, why do you guys always do that? And we're like, what? He goes, talk to people like when you're entering and exiting restaurants and stuff. Because what happened was there was a dad outside playing with their little, little daughter. It's like oh, a year and a half old. And they're out there playing on the steps. As, as we're, basically, they're waiting to go sit down. But dad's, Lisa does this all the time. Takes Grayson outside to do something while we're waiting on something. And, and the little girl turns around, looks at us, and just starts following us. And we're like, oh, she's ready to go home with us. You know, or, you know, and the dad's laughing. Like, and my son's like, well, why, do you, why do you guys do that? We're like, we're, we're just being friendly. So we had a, a conversation about friendly conversations, what's appropriate, what's not appropriate, because he shouldn't talk to every adult, you know, those type of things. But, you know, how we act influences other people. Right now, part of my calling is to teach my kids the way of God. So let's find our calling so we can stand before the Lord and say, hey, 
and have him say, hey, nice work on abortion or nice work on helping those young families or, or nice work on beating, being there for, for those who needed you. Nice work on, on working with the poor. Or nice work on helping out those, those you know, single parents or, or nice work on helping the seniors or, or, you know, great work in politics. Oh, man, you know. Great work in, in, in science, you know, way to discipline yourself. Great work in whatever job you have, but, but how you carry God into it. That's what we want God to do in the end, to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you for, for curing cancer. Good job. You know, some of you might be involved in that. Hopefully the little ones. You know, I don't know. But, you know, thanks for, for reaching out to, to victims of AIDS. Or thanks for dealing with tracks, you know, sex trafficking. And, you know, thanks for going on mission trips or, or caring for people that you don't even know. God has called us to a lot of things. And we need to figure out where we fit into that. Now, he goes on here in you know, verse 12, greet uh, um, uh, let's see, Trifina and Trifosa, these are twins, and the, and the Greek names mean dainty and delicate. So, uh, you know, I don't know. These women who work hard in the Lord greet my dear friend uh, Persis, and, and this person, uh, she is a Persian, uh, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord, uh, Greek Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has uh, been a mother to me too, uh, greet a whole bunch of other people in verse 14. Uh, let's see, uh, 15, greet, uh, uh, Philo- oh, yeah, it means he loves the word of God. Here's a guy who's basically, his nickname is, I love the word of God. Either that was his real name or his nickname. I'm not sure. Probably one and the same, you know. But uh, Julia uh, Narusis and his sister, and he couldn't remember her name. I mean, I understand that all the time. And Olympus and all the Lord's people who are with them greet one another with a holy kiss. And this was a cheek kiss, okay? It wasn't a big smooch or anything. This, you know, it was a tradition back then. Uh, All the churches of Christ send greetings. Verse 17, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause division and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching that you have learned. And here's what you should do with them. Keep away from them. Sometimes we as a church or we as an individual have to say, this person causes too much division. It's time to break away from them. And that is a biblical thing. You know, sometimes we feel, oh, I'm a Christian, I have to be, I have to, no, 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 no. If they're causing too much, I mean, Paul says it right here, keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites by smooth talk and flattery that deceive the minds of naive people. And I I disagree with the translation here. Naive is not a good word for this. It actually means pure and sincere. So basically saying, by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of pure and sincere people. So don't think of naive like, oh, I'm just naive. You know, don't think of it like that. Just pure and sincere people, and they're tearing them away here. And then verse 19, everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be wise and, and about what is good and innocent about what is evil. And this is great for us. Wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. I talked to my son. There, you know, there's some bad, evil things out there in that world. And one day you'll get to understand what they are. But, but our job is to protect you. 
from that, uh, you know, especially around the computer, okay? So uh, verse 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my co-worker, and, uh, sends his greetings to you as, as do Lucius, Jason, and uh, Sosipater, I don't know, my fellow Jews. Um, I, Tetris, who wrote down this letter, greet you, uh, it's Tertius or Tur- I can't even pronounce it. Greet you, greet you in the in the Lord. And I wonder if Paul knew um, that the guy writing it actually put his name into the book. You know what I'm saying? Kind of like at the very end, I da 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 da. You know, I mean the uh, the word ter- ter- Tertius. I don't know. Means third. Quartus means fourth. These were either freed slaves or they were slaves when they were birthed. In other words, when they were born. Wouldn't you love that? You're first, you're second, you're third, you're fourth. That's what I'm going to call you, you know. And he kept the name, just numbered them. You know, hey, third, get fourth and, and, and meet me out back because I got some work for you, you know. I mean, quarter sounds a little cool, but really f- just fourth, you know. Uh, I mean, it'd be like having the name Quarter. Hey, Quarter, get over here. Yeah. Anyway, I need to get off that. But what is exciting is is in Christ, Cordus is called the Apostle Paul's brother. Isn't that pretty cool? He's a brother of the Apostle Paul. That's a great thing. And then uh, lastly, let's end here. Agaius, whose hospitality and I, uh, I and the whole church here in joy, send you his greetings. Ereatus, who is a city uh, director of public works. And it says, Ereatus paid, uh, oh, this right here, this picture right here. This is like a six-foot wide piece, and it's there, okay? You could actually go and find it in Corinth. Um, and, and this, this it says, Ereatus uh, uh, paid for this pavement, okay? So you can see city le- leaders have not changed at all. They put their names on everything. And this guy was a city leader, and it says, and our brother Cordus uh, sent you his greetings. Basically, Aretas was part of the church, and yet he was a city leader. That's kind of interesting, you know? And it says, verse 26, now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with the gospel... The message I proclaim about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles may come to the obedience that comes from faith, to the only wise God be glory forever through Christ Jesus. Amen. And we go back to Paul just writing one big long sentence. But it's so packed right there. But I think we are going to be finished there. So we are done with Romans after 61 weeks. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, right? It doesn't matter how long it takes. It matters just that we learn the Word of God. Amen? Well, why don't you stand as we pray? And Joshua will uh, lead us in a last song. And, uh, and then i got to run over and preach for Calvary Chapel this morning. So, Lord, we just... Uh, we thank you for the book of Romans. We thank you for, for men like Paul and, and all the different people he knows, the men and the women and the slaves and everyone else, that we can serve the Lord in whatever, uh, whatever position we're in. If we can figure out the calling that you have in our life, it would be so much better for us in this life, and I pray that you help us do that, that we remember when you're active in our life, to write down our prayers, 
and to list when they're answered, how amazing that would be years from now to look back upon, Lord, and for you to remind us that you are in control. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. Amen. He bless you this week. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.